You're listening to The Sanitarium Podcast with Sam Langford. Hello there, welcome to a <clears throat> special episode of The Sanitarium Podcast where I have a guest who I know very well because I'm married to her. Um, and she sat with me in our house. Hello, darling. Hello. <laughs> so this is weird. Um, this is a weird one. It seems a bit strange interviewing my wife. Um, but uh, we're just going to do a quick short episode where um, my wife Sarah delves into a bit of her own mental health and as well as living with me currently um, with mental health. Uh, hopefully she won't go into labour while we're uh, recording, but there is always a stop button. So if that, if that, ha- if that <laughs> works, then you know <laughs> we'll crack on. Um, so I, I usually have five questions I ask guests, but um, on this occasion... I'm just going to talk naturally and talk to you, because... Just wing it. Just wing it, yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, some issues you've had, you know, past and present, or anything in that respect. Well, I've always sort of struggled with mental health from... I suppose it stems from being bullied at school, really. It's um, one of those where, um, yeah, people's words hurt and they stick, and it, it's knowing how to get rid of them, how to brush them off. I was never very good at doing that. It just kind of sat inside and. After a while, I suppose you, you start to believe it, and it, it does, it chips away at you, and drags you down. Yeah, um, I've never covered bullying in any of the shows, as you know, but bullying is one of the worst things ever to happen to somebody. Uh, I've been bullied myself, um, not so much recently, but when I was a kid, and uh, it's horrible. It's very, uh, you feel like, feel like the bullies control your life. Um, which is always hard to get through at the time, and it always sticks in your brain because it's in my brain. So I'm sure you you still think about it now. Yeah, we've, we've had conversations, haven't we, about it? That's it. I think it's it's one of those kids are cruel, and I think yeah, definitely. When you're a teenager and hormones are bad enough, it's words hurt and like I say you can brush them off or they can stick with you um, I think for a long time they did stick with me and that's probably why I ended up with past relationships like I did and not quite feeling good enough yeah. for anything yeah, um, yeah. so I think I think that's, that's initially where it started to be honest just not feeling good enough mm. for anybody or anything and as much as people tell you the positives you've got a lot of people telling you the opposite and who do you believe you know teachers get paid to tell you in my mind they get paid to tell you your grades are good yeah you learn it but what does it matter when you're sat eating lunch on your own not having anybody to share it with yeah yeah it is. i agree with you um it's horrible but 
Um, I know when I first met you in 2009, nearly 11 years ago, um, you were quite bad with anxiety and depression. Um, yeah. Back then, I didn't know much about it. And I was admittedly one of them people that used to say to you, you'll be fine, you know, you'll get over it, don't worry about things. Which now, obviously, I know, you know, since I've suffered with uh, mental illness, um, is one of the worst things you can say to somebody. I, it never used to bother me, to be honest, because I think I was used to hearing it because I'd always struggled with my emotions and everything like that. I was always the comic. Yeah. The, the joker. So having all of that going on at school and all the rest of it, I used to make a joke out of everything, so everyone always used to see me as this happily bubbly, over-the-top hyper. Yeah. That I was always called hyperactive, mm. and it's it's the mask I used because people weren't quite believing that I was suffering as badly as what I was. So yeah. for people to say to me, oh, you'll be all right, you'll be all right, just used to say, okay then, yeah, yeah, that's fine, you know. It's it never. It used to bother me, but it didn't, and I just thought, well, I've been told that my whole life, so one more person telling me, it, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's one of those where you don't hold it against them. No, no. And you don't take it out on anybody. You just think. No, because. I know there will be a time when I will feel a little bit better. Yeah, of course. You know, I'll just keep wearing this mask until it happens. I think so, I don't think people mean to to say stuff like that. I think I, I think some people say it because they don't want to get involved with mental health or they don't they're not interested. Or some people I know that don't even like seeing mental health posts that you share and stuff. There's actually people it out there. People. It does, and especially if they they think they are going through it and they just don't want to admit it to themselves. Um, but at the same time, these people that do say, don't worry about it, you'll be okay, they do care. Of course they care. They're saying that because they care. And um, that's where you've got to kind of uh, figure out what sort of person they are. Are, are they saying it because they they're just brushing they're brushing it off or are they saying it because they, they genuinely care and they don't know what to do? They don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, you know, there's people that's been in my life you know, in the last few years that I think their situation is, is like that. They, they don't know what to say. And um, I don't dislike the people for that. I just think, well, if you're listening to a podcast like this or you, you're searching on the internet or you're seeing all these mental health posts these days and, and you know, stories like Caroline Flack and Robin Williams and Chester Bennington and, and all these celebrities that, that have took their own life, I hope that that will make people realize that yeah um chester bennington was with his family playing board games and then that night he he took his own life how it can go from being so happy and jolly like you said that you are you know that was your um way of show way of dealing with yeah. it you know yeah they are and i mean everybody's seen on facebook and, and social media instagram everything pictures of robin williams with a smile on his face and Watching his watching his stand up comedian uh, comedy, um, all of his movies, you know he's the happy character, the, the funny character. Mm. Like Mrs. Doubtfire, an absolutely great movie with him in, um, you know playing that sort of a character. But you know nobody can see uh, beyond that. They can only see what 
we all love Robin Williams for, which is a, a comedian and an actor, and, and I think you know, people will see what they want to see in people. Yeah. It's it's very difficult, like with yourself, you know, it's very difficult to see that vulnerable side in people. Like when you and me first met, yeah. I didn't want to show you that side. Unfortunately, you didn't have a choice at the time. No, there were, it was yeah. very, very raw and yeah. very painful. Mm. I was going through a lot of stuff, which mm. is why I pushed you away. Yeah. Because you don't want the people you care about to see that side. That that's when the mask becomes more permanent. Yeah. And like I say, I think that's why people struggle to know what to say as well, because in their mind, nine times out of ten, you're a happy, smiley, jokey person. Yeah. You know, as am I. Um, well. They're not used to, no. to seeing the, the vulnerable side because you don't suffer with mental health. You don't want people to see it. That's, no, no, you that's don't. That's the bit that hurts. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, put a plaster over it and try and pretend it's not there, but yeah. it, it doesn't. You can't open up your head and put a plaster help. on your brain, can you? No. So, um, but yeah, I mean, going back, going back to that, I remember friends and family of ours, um, well, mainly friends that, you know, this won't last, us two, we, we won't last, it's with all your issues and, you know, the way I was at the time, but, you know, 11 years down the line, here we are, so That's it shows true. that if you do stick with these people that um, that are suffering, and, and even if you don't understand it, if you stay with that person and learn, then you will get to understand it, and you can be as lucky as we are, you know, with with our family and stuff, and um, and it, it can, you know, it can change like that, and it does work like that, um, if you're patient with the with the well, with the any people. Any relationship is hard work, whether it's a marriage or dating or living together or got kids. Every relationship is work, mm. and it's how. Like any normal job, it's how you deal with it. Yeah. And a mental health problem in the relationship, it adds pressure to the work. Mm. But I think if you if you care about that person, it shouldn't matter, especially with wedding vows, in sickness and in health, and all the rest of it. It's it's one of those things where. You love that person, you will bend over backwards for them, you will walk over hot coals for them. You just, you do what you can to help as much as you can without pushing that person away. Yeah. So you probably will notice that now this part of the show is a bit more clear because I realised after speaking with uh, Sarah that I didn't have the microphone plugged in. <laughs> do you know what, me and technology, I love doing this podcast. And eventually I will get it right. <laughs> I'm just the wife. I don't get the priority treatment. <laughs> but I just stopped it then and I looked and I thought, you know what, that USB is not in my laptop. So you, I've, I've sound checked it. You can hear Sarah. Um, it's a little bit um, muffled, muffled <laughs> but you can hear it clearly. Um, so you, Jasmine's interview microphone didn't work and I sound like I'm sat on the other side of the street while you know she's sat in, in the dining room but hey it's a learning curve for everybody so uh, we'll, we'll just crack on with this one um, <laughs> and then hopefully when I record my next one I'll have a microphone uh, plugged in um, you know me darling I'm you know I'm a dippy kind of kind of guy it's one of the reasons I married you there you go <laughs> can't say fairer than that um, so 
the only the other thing this isn't going to be is an in-depth interview as as I've um, had uh, with Jasmine before. This is uh, just a bit of a brief um, episode, just as an extra for for the listeners. So obviously everybody knows that <clears throat> I suffer with uh, anxiety and depression, and my wife is 39 weeks pregnant. Um, and she is going to just say a little bit about, you know, how living with me whilst pregnant, because obviously when you're pregnant there's all the stresses and there's the mood swings and, you know, all your hormones are all over the place. Um, so she is just going to talk a little bit, only a little bit about it, um, and, you know, just to give an insight of, of our life, uh, you know, at the minute, and that's really it. So start really wherever you want well I know you've been struggling a while um, I've noticed I noticed it long before you did um, you've kind of always had it um, when I first met you you've always been I always call you a sponge if that's the right terminology you let everything soak up into you and you carry it around with you everybody else's problems or your issues and emotions everything you soak it up like a sponge and as I said to you before that sponge needs to be wrung out you need to release even if it's just a few drops you need to release it and you never could which is why alcohol and going out and being a bit of a dipstick <laughs> yeah yeah I'll admit that came into yeah. came into it and I've told you on more than one occasion it wasn't healthy it scared me more the fact that you were diabetic yeah. and you were drinking yeah you know it wasn't a couple of cans like you originally planned it was 12 cans later and you're you know, worse for wear, sat on the sofa in your pants and, uh, you know, <laughs> feeling feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and, that, I, that's true. And I don't mean that in a negative way, feeling sorry for yourself. Just generally, that sponge is full and, you know, it gradually got worse and worse and worse. Uncle Barry, you know, losing him. You, you all, sorry to interrupt you, but you always say that I don't grieve. I, no, I, I, I shut it out. I don't. Never, I don't you actually. You never have done. No. You know, you've you've lost grandparents and you've lost friends and you've lost people very very close to you, and you don't just not grieve. You blame yourself. Yeah, I I, I do. <laughs> Walking away from Uncle Barry, he he passed away early hours of the morning. You, there was no way you were going to be there for that particular moment. No, but I couldn't get it out of my head that I no. should have been. Yeah, yeah, that that is one of my biggest issues. That and and obviously Steve, mm. that is you, you still haven't no. let let that one sink in and deal with it and yeah. do you know what I mean it's yeah they they they, all, they always say that you um you never get over grief but you learn to live with it uh with me I just don't deal with it so it's there all it's, the time it's just 
inside your heart, carrying around day, day, day. And yeah. the thing is, it's it's like a tumour. It will start to fester and eat away and all the rest of it. And mm. it, it does, It that's <laughs> like cancer, it can kill. You know, it's, it's knowing to release a little bit. And that's why I've been getting you the journals and the worry monster and all the rest of it. Yeah. You don't have to talk to me. I yeah. completely get that sometimes I can be raging hormones, <laughs> big <laughs> just, scary pregnant lady. Just sometimes. <laughs> and, and it is it's awkward to talk to people closest to you, especially if it is linked to them, because mm. you don't want to burden them. No. You don't want to fill their sponge up. No. You you don't want to worry them mm. but you need to do it another way yeah. talk to a stranger or write it down or something just to let those few drops out of the sponge yeah and and you've taught me all this because that's what i'm doing i'm i'm writing things down i'm I'm even using the worry monster and the worry monster is great if, if nobody knows what a worry monster is it's a, a cuddly toy with a zipped mouth you write a worry down and you put it in its mouth like the monster's eating it. And it ain't for kids, it's for adults, it, you know, as well. It yeah. is. And it, I, I, as soon as it sounds, it does help because you think, oh, that's gone, he's at it. You know, if you're into if you're into your toys and imaginary worlds like me, <laughs> you, do, you do believe it. Um, so, yeah, and, and you've taught me, you know, the coping methods like the worry diaries and stuff, the... They're brilliant. You know. Even if you don't want to talk about it, at least writing <coughs> it down, you're releasing just that little bit of pressure. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that stuck in my mind was the, uh, the little glass tubes full of um, positive messages. Uh, this was a box that Sarah bought me. Um, you basically open your box and there's little uh, test tubes kind of things in there with a cork, sealed cork, isn't there? And uh, you... you release the cork and pull out the little message and it's you know it's a something positive like you know keep going or um you know your you know inspirational, inspirational messages, messages yeah, yeah. That, that's the word i was looking for um which is really good because it does boost your mood and it has worked for me a lot um and the bit where you said about strangers well you always say to me you know people are into the same things as you and you talk about them things that you know going back to episode three i believe uh was hobbies and interests um it does work so much you know you talk to these people that you've never met and then next thing you know you've got this beaming friendship with them and i mean you've met you've met three or four new people in my life haven't you and you know you see it and think i can see why you two get on things like that um so yeah yeah that she's absolutely right in saying that uh that's She's, she's right in calling me a sponge because <laughs> I am I am a sponge and I think everybody um, has it yeah I think, sure I think everybody has it's just some people are better at, at ringing it out yeah. so to speak yeah you know there's there's certain people that can go and wear their heart on their sleeve and I admire those people I really really do to be able to just openly talk to anybody and everybody about the problems must be it's just an incredible way to live yeah and i admire them because it takes it, it that's why people with mental health don't like to talk about it because it triggers the anxiety of being judged of you know 
people seeing you vulnerable that's yeah. what scares a lot of people that suffer with anxiety is being vulnerable mm. because in your mind you're then weak and exposed and that's when things can get a lot worse yes it can get yeah. a lot better but people with anxiety don't see the better no no they only see the negative mm. and that's it's a it's a catch-22 situation it you, is, yeah. you know you, you're ping-ponging it across yeah and it never gets resolved it never gets moved on or sorted or anything like that and it is it's it's a very scary concept yeah definitely but it's amazing how many people have it and don't actually bring it to the forefront of their mind that that's what it is yeah you know life is hard unfortunately and not everybody's nice no that's right and and life is hard you're not the first person to say you know on on previous shows guests mm -hmm. have said exactly that and it is and it ain't wrong um it ain't easy especially nowadays yeah cost of living's going up but wages aren't yeah what's the most thing that keeps people up at night money yeah yeah you know or health yeah they're the two things that we try and control but we can't well and prime example with this coronavirus outbreak look yeah. at all the shops you know I, I saw I don't want to g go into this because it, it's this podcast isn't about <laughs> coronavirus but I just saw something um this morning on on social media with an old lady a picture of an old lady in the shop you know down the aisle and there was nothing left there's no hand sanitizer there's no toilet roll and they're the people that are most vulnerable and it it's that's what I'm, I'm I say I'm not going on to the coronavirus I'm genuinely saying um bouncing off your comment about um health uh, it's crazy, you know. One one thing happens, and and this these people bought by, and they don't think about all these children and stuff that are, that need paracetamol to get their fevers and down. And this is it. And then and it keeps you up at night. The fact that how am I going to stay healthy? Yeah, of course. To work, yeah. to get money. Yeah. To, it's, it's a vicious cycle. You don't cycle. even need to have a virus, you know. Anxiety. Mm. It's a it's a vicious cycle. Well, I know. You're I not know. well enough to work. Yeah. So. Therefore, you can't work. Yeah. Therefore, you've got no wages coming in. Yeah, exactly. Therefore, you then stress about where, you know, where's money coming from and how am how I going to do gonna, this, how, how am I going to do that. Bill. Yeah. It then makes your anxiety worse, which makes you less likely to go back to work. And round and round you go on this, this circle. Yeah. And I just think so many people nowadays are especially young people that's what scares me young people are really struggling you know with the pressures and everything i mean i i was quite lucky in a way that mine was more bullying related and i could go home at the end of the day and be with my family and have a giggle with my dad and my sister and my brother yeah. and it was kind of not forgotten about but but pushed away until i needed to go back to school the next day yeah nowadays kids can't even do that because of because of social media and because and of everything yeah mm. yeah social media it doesn't stop at school it continues that, at home that they read and see and how it's it's brought up in school a lot of mental health and mm. This, you know, there's that program we watched, and the the young children describing exactly 
how to cut themselves. And Nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds. It's just... It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, crazy. And it was never really spoken about when we were younger. And I think... No, it wasn't, no. I think it's it's a very hard place to be nowadays. Everybody yeah. knows everybody's business. And it can't be removed because it's online or, you know, it's not like a newspaper where you can chuck it in the bin. No. It's there forever and... It just it's it's a hard life nowadays. It is, it is. Um, one last thing I wanted to cover was uh, to ask you uh, to tell people a bit about was um, as you know I had the crisis team out to me in I believe it was 2017, um, or it could have been 2018. 2017. 2017. October. 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 So October 2017. Um, Sarah was pregnant uh, with our our little boy. So a few years back now, but um, I did one of my stupid nights out where I sneak out the house, as, as I mentioned in episode one, um, drank myself into oblivion, um, and then went up to one um, a bridge in the city centre, and uh, before deciding whether to jump or not, um, I phoned 999, you know, I'd realised, and... Uh, Sarah knew I'd gone out and she'd been phoning and phoning and phoning and you know this this was a, a night where I wouldn't reply I, I usually would reply or answer the phone and say something stupid like I'll oh, leave me alone I'm, I'm enjoying myself and you know and um but this particular time was um was all to do with alcohol um because I was going through some awful stuff which I blocked out with alcohol um so I I waited for about two and a half hours um, in freezing cold temperatures before an ambulance came, which I ain't complaining about because I know how much our uh, emergency services and NHS is under stress. Um, but you know, I, I was in a very bad place, and I they take me they took me sorry up to the uh, hospital, um, sat me down and and warmed me up. Uh, you know, and, and I had to get the crisis team from the uh, PHC, the Peter Hodgkinson Centre at, at Lincoln County Hospital, which is the mental health facility in our city. And uh, you came up with my dad, and uh, obviously, I just kind of want to, if if you will, say how that made you feel. Um, you know, pregnant with our first baby, um, potentially your husband could have committed suicide that night. Um, that's really hard for me to say, but I've said it, so. Crack on. I. It's it's a really strange one because I knew it was coming. You didn't, but that's because you were in a dark place and, like I say, you tend to brush things under the carpet and pretend it's not happening and all the rest of it. But I knew it was coming, and it was just a matter of when. So you're always on the back burner, you're always keeping a lookout, keeping a watch, just waiting for it to all go yeah. Yeah. south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't surprised. Um, I, I didn't think it was going to spiral so quickly, um, but I knew... I knew why you were feeling like that. You didn't. 
No. Which is what concerned me because to me it was as plain as day what it was, what the situation was. You were you were grieving, you were guilt you know, you felt guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, you just lost your best friend in one of the most awful, awful ways and you blamed yourself. You thought that you could have stopped that and weeks go past and that just kept you awake at night. Sleep deprivation and self-guilt and all the rest of it. It was just, it was a ticking time bomb. Yeah, there was a lot of issues in that in 2017 that was building up. And uh, we, we'd been through some personal things that we we had to deal with. Yeah. You know, before Isaac, you know, came along and stuff. And that was a lot of pressure. We we waited a long time for Isaac. Yeah. And it was a lot of pressure. That's why I was back on on medication. Exactly. You you were on medication in. in I was 2016, having a lot of panic attacks. Yeah, you and, was. Yeah. And you know, having a lot of time off work because I couldn't. I was depressed, I was anxious, Yeah. I was very poorly, you know, like you are now, and, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them sign me off work, I think that was my biggest problem, Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to kind of give in, in my mind, give in to myself, no, so it, that, I, that, that was just, yeah. I should. I was a bit silly then, <laughs> but you know, it it all worked out for the best. But I think with you, it was like I say, it was a ticking time bomb. I could see it. I could see it getting worse and worse and worse. And I've actually said to your mum and dad on quite a few occasions, something's gonna go wrong if if we don't sort this out. Something is gonna go wrong. You know, it's going to be a case of either you're going to walk out and leave us all and we'll never see you again. You know, you'll hop on the first train and, and be out of here and take a load of cash in a bag and, and you'll be gone. And, and you know that actually did cross my mind at one yeah, point. Yeah, I know. Um, Which is horrible to think no, now. It, but it's it's out there, it's true. It, it needed, it, it needed to, to cross your mind so you could work out if you needed to do it or not. Absolutely, yeah. And the fact that you didn't speaks volumes. It, yeah, the fact that we're here now yeah. talking about it and knowing that we've both got through so much together. Yeah. As a, as a couple and as a family, um, yeah, shows that it, you don't need to say any more, dear. You know. But I mean, that's why in the PHC, you you, when we were in that room, you did just sit there and stare a little bit. Yeah, and I that's did. why I'm kind of glad I was in the room. I, I needed you in that room, as you know, um, because at the time, after all that had happened um, that night with the crisis team and with everything, um, I was blank. I, you I, I, I was blank. I, mm. I, I had no emotions. I had no um, no self-control of what I wanted to do, or I, I know, we know it. it 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 was aw- it was awful and yeah and, and I must say that PHC are absolutely amazing. They are. Oh, they were so sweet. They were. I mean, I know they're medical professionals, and but wow, they they were amazing. And I remember coming and out as a spouse of somebody that's struggling to have that support as well. Yes. It wasn't even me that was going through it, but the no. support that they gave me 
Oh yeah, yeah that yeah that incredible. I'm, I'm glad you added that. Yeah, because yeah, they don't just support the person that's suffering; they they also support people around them. Yeah, uh, which is uh, you know which is incredible. Uh, but I do I, I do remember coming out of the uh, the PHC and and getting into to Dad's car, and you know everyone was very quiet at first mm. because um, you know I've I've been in the mental health facility. I've I've been. You know, I've, I've attempted suicide almost. I don't know whether you class it as an attempt because I realised, but I got to that point in my you, life. You had that sensation, um, that feeling. Because alcohol was filled, you know, filled, I was full of alcohol, I was full of everything. It was just terrible. But, yeah, I, I, and, and I sat there and I thought, you know, them, them guys, because uh, they eventually did get me to speak, um, and I did go through a few things. I, I could have gone into more detail, and I should have done, uh, because it didn't stop there, did it? It... It got a bit better um, in the respect that the drinking kind of, right, we'll, we'll stop this through, you know, it, it's about time. I mean, I wasn't uh, one that drank every day. It was a weekend thing, as, as I mentioned in episode one. And, it uh, wasn't even every weekend, especially because I was pregnant, but it was when you had one, I couldn't stop. you'd have 12. Yes, yeah. I couldn't so go it, out it, and have one beer. Yeah. No. Well, no. we'd... Stop and you know, with me with my alcohol free lock, because I'd have two or three, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then say, Party I need to go to bed stuff. now, <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. know, and your dad would say, Well, I'll have a couple more with Sam, and then we'll go to bed, yeah, um, and then that's when it, it spiraled yeah. out of control in, yeah. my, in my own personal way. And it got to the point where it, it got less frequent that we were having drinks, but you'd then sink more into that night. Yes. You'd drink more in that one night than and, if and it was spread out and you did it every weekend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I was drinking stuff that wasn't just bad for my uh, mental health. I was drinking stuff that was bad for my um, diabetes. diabetes. Yeah. Uh, drinks and like, that's you know, what scared sh- me as well. shots of, of Sambuca, which is absolute, you might as well just pour a, um, a shot sugar of sugar. Down, yeah. Um, you know, in all the, uh, the fruit-flavoured ciders and things like that, um, which, don't get me wrong, I'm not slagging them drinks off because... I, but I, I shouldn't drink them. But because you weren't wearing a Medibrake bracelet or anything, if you were to pass out in the street, people would just assume that you were drunk, and that's yeah. what used to scare me. Yes, yeah. You'd slip into a diabetic coma, and no one would know that you're diabetic. No, no, that's They'd right. They'd just um, think that you passed out drunk. Yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah, we, we've covered what I wanted to cover on here. Um, we've literally just... We, <laughs> Sarah's just got home from the hospital. Um, she's been doing this fasting her blood test, um, and I stayed at home with Isaac. Um, and she sat down. And she, I bought her a bacon and sausage butty, so because she'd been fasting since yesterday evening. And then I sat there and said, "Should we just do this interview?" And she went, "Yeah, all right." So we've done it. <laughs> and here we are. We're, we're at the end. So. Um, and I've not given birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you've not given birth. <laughs> We're not having a Jason Voorhees baby. <laughs> or maybe, there's still plenty of time. There is. Uh, just in case you, you're listening to this on a different day, because we're recording on this day, but it's Friday the 13th, so that's why I said Jason Voorhees, just in case. I've got to get a bit of horror in there, aren't I? You know? <laughs> Everyone knows I love it, so yeah, just get a bit in there. Um, I, I just want to say that um, Sarah is my rock. Um, she means the absolute world to me. And I will also say that um, if I didn't have her, I genuinely think I probably wouldn't be here today. So um, she's not she's not only my wife; she is my world, um, as is my son, and as will be my little daughter when she comes. 
uh, family, um, all my family, you know, my parents, everything. Um, I'm I'm saying Sarah, but this is an episode of me and the wife that every there's people out there that know how much it means to me and how much they that you know they do for me. My parents include included in that, of course. Uh, they are absolute diamonds. I I won't again. I don't know what I'd do without them. So, um, I'm happy to end it there. Um, I'm going to play a song. Um, but thank you, darling, for doing that. Thank you, and keep up the good work, darling, because it well, really is a good good thing that you're doing. I appreciate and that. And it's helping you, which is a bonus. It is a bonus, yeah, absolutely. Um, if it can nice help me and help smiling. and help other people, and yeah, and. This is my fourth recording in 24 hours, so I think I'm a bit addicted to doing it, <laughs> which is good. Hey, keeps you busy and out of trouble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so, yeah, uh, I will end it there. I'm going to play a song by James Morrison, which was our uh, wedding song, just to end the show. I think it's appropriate that we have our wedding song, which is Real To Me by James Morrison. Um, and the song means a lot to us because uh, Sarah actually played it for me. Um, when I first met her and said this song reminds me of you um, and I listened to it and, and probably cried you know it's me after all yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did yeah there you go I did um, and yeah so I'm going to play that by James Morrison real to me and uh, I'm going to end the show at the end of the song so there'll be no more talking after that so thank you all for listening um, I appreciate it as always uh, be kind Lots of love. There's so much craziness surrounding me. There's so much going on. It gets hard to breathe, but all my faith has gone. You bring it back to me. You make it real for me. When I'm not sure. My priorities When I've lost sight of Where I'm meant to be Like holy water Washing over me You make it real for me And I Run into you, baby
You're making real for me. 